Welcome to the Red, White, and Truth podcast. It is your host, Karsten Short, and I have a special guest with me here today. He is a professional golfer, has been pro since 2015, has multiple wins under his belt already, which is kind of crazy because some golfers don't win their first event until later on in their career, which is kind of crazy to think this guy already has multiple wins under his belt. Uh, 30 professional wins to be exact. I don't want to toot his horn too much. I'll turn it right over to him. Austin Treslow, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, Carson, thanks for having me on, man. I'm pumped to be here. Dude, pumped to have you, man. I know when we uh, we met in Vegas, we were just like, dude, we got to get this podcast fired out. We got a lot of information <laughs> yeah, to cover yeah. today. But uh, dude, you're just a genuine cool dude, man. Getting to meet you, your girl, everything, man. It was such a great time. Um, and obviously, you know, we've got a lot of really good talking points to get, but before I kind of go into those points, man, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what kind of made you, you know, take politics up? What is a golfer doing in politics? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not involved on the front lines, but I, one day, I one day want to be, it's something I've been interested in since I was 11. Uh, I was watching the Republican presidential primaries with my parents in 2007 mm-hmm. and, Ron Paul caught my eye during that debate. I thought that he sounded the most authentic on the stage. And I Mm -hmm. thought that he was speaking the most truth to power in terms of, you know, talking about pulling out of these foreign conflicts we have no business being in, uh, supporting sound monetary policy, uh, limited government, individual freedom, and uh, states' rights, which I think are all very important. This stuff that all makes sense, you know, it's just logic, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, to, as an 11-year-old, that's what it's yeah, like, you know, like, I mean. As a kid, too, it's like, what's right, what's right and what's wrong? Like, kids are very honest, man, so it's really hard to lie at that point, you know. Uh, yeah, the liberals as, have mastered it, but as an 11-year-old, man, you're coming in with a clean slate, so I understand. As, <laughs> yeah, I, as an 11 year old, it was just very inspiring for me. And I didn't know anything about politics. I mean, I, I hated social studies in, in elementary school and middle yeah, school. And now, now I love studying history, but um, that just kind of piqued my interest. And I became, you know, very fascinated with it. You know, researching Ron Paul, I got into, you know, some of the people influenced him, like, you know, Milton Friedman, Frederick Hayek, mm-hmm. uh, Lagwood uh, Bung Mises, and a bunch of people. Thomas Stoll is a huge influence for me. Um, I think that if a lot of people read more Thomas Stoll, the, the country would be such a better place and a much more peaceful place as well. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that's just the, the problem with our country as is right now is we have a lot of people that are spewing off a lot of information or, or repeating and recycling information that they've never really studied. You know, we've got a lot of uneducated people out there thinking that because they saw something on the news that it has to be right. So I, uh, I totally understand where you're coming from there, man. Um, what, what has been your kind of opinion, you know, because I was at 11, what has been your kind of opinion of the Trump presidency so far? You know, I know there's a lot of Republicans that are like 100% Trump is Jesus in the flesh. And then there's some Republicans that are just like, ah, you know, like he could improve. What's been your opinion on the uh, president's, uh, you know, kind of pr- Trump's presidency moving forward? You know, I, I think Trump has, he, He's a very flawed individual and he he can really turn people off very easily. Mm. So it's you have to kind of separate the man from the results. You know, that's very important to do. Um, and for me, I I supported Trump almost entirely because of the anti-war stance he took in 2016. Mm. 
you know, he's the first president since we've been alive not to start a new war. And and the non-interventionist foreign policy for me isn't just about foreign policy, but it's about domestic policy. And it's, it's the idea that there's no need for government to use force unless, unless an individual is directly hurt. Mm. And, you know, I wish that he took a little bit more of that stance domestically in the sense that I wish he, and it's not just him, it's really Congress was able to cut spending and, and really rein in government. But as a whole, he was able to bring to the forefront a lot of, a lot of debate and kind of expose a lot of the cronyism that goes on between, you know, big government, big business. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a real good point to touch on going forward in the Republican party Mm -hmm. is the Republicans kind of stand down when it comes to the 99% versus the 1% debate. Mm -hmm. The Republican party has a reputation of being a party for the rich and being a party for, you know, against working class people. But I think what Trump was able to do effectively was embrace that 1% versus 99% debate and talk about, you know, Wall Street, uh, the Fed, and government working together to kind of work against the working class people of this country. And he was able to identify that. And I'm not saying he was able to effectively manage it, but getting the debate going on that was the most important thing. And that really started back in the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement in 2010. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a debate that's coming till now. And going forward, I don't see it. I don't see it going anywhere. I mean, the real inspiration you see in, uh, from the progressive Democrats is that issue. And really, that's the issue that we need to talk about as conservatives going forward is how do you help working class people? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that you going forward, Republicans can't win without talking about how they'll help working class people. Yeah, well, it's end of the day. They're, they're the people that are making, you know, the, the selection of who is going to be president as is. So I feel like the president that takes care of the people the most, but doesn't in a way where, you know, businesses are still able to prosper, yet the people are prospering. Because I think that's the leftist fear is that corporations are just going to become superpowers and there will be nothing yeah. left for the rest of the people. When in reality, they almost vote the opposite because the people that are kind of protected through democratic policies are these super corporations. You know, the Amazon, yeah. Amazon will always be there. I mean, I think I read some stat that Amazon like nearly doubled in growth over the pandemic while small businesses were shutting down. I mean, I know plenty of people and as a small yeah. business owner myself that just completely collapsed and their businesses are either hanging on by a thread or that thread has already been snipped, man, which is kind of sad yeah. because, you know, we're, a lot of people are, you know, kind of anti this whole COVID thing right now. And I understand, you know, it is an illness that can plague a lot of people and it has a very high infectious rate. But at the end of the day, it has a 99.98% recovery rate. And you're going to tell me that we had to close down businesses for that. And my question for everyone else is just like, you know, if masks really do work as well as they do, why did businesses have to close? You know, I thought that was kind of ironic, but I know what you mean though, because there's got to be that insurance for those people. The small businesses need to be taken care of and everyday people. And I think that's the problem with this whole two-party system right now, as it currently stands, where there's a lot of divide between the left and the right. And rightfully Mm -hmm. so, you know, I believe everybody has their own strong point, you know, standpoints from what they believe in. But at the end of the day, like for the, for the fact, like the stimulus two bill has not been released, you know, other countries have been giving money back to the people and we're still sitting here bickering back and forth. You know, Nancy Pelosi comes out with a, a stimulus package and then, you know, Trump counters and then Nancy Pelosi won't budge. And then he goes up with his budget. She still won't budge. And it's like, 
at the end of the day, you got to put politics aside and make sure the people are taken care of. True. And, you know, the one thing in defense of the current stimulus that that went on earlier this year and could be going on this, you know, going forward, (laughs) hopefully not for too much longer because we can't afford it. But it is significantly better than the TARP bailouts of 2008-2009, oh, <laughs> where all we, all we did is after, after we incentivized Wall Street to make really risky you know, more uh, loans for, for people for houses because people, mm-hmm. uh, people in government decided, oh, well, we want uh, home ownership rates to go up, so yeah. we're going to turn a blind eye to all these horrible investments. Yeah. You, and, get alone, send, you get a loan. You get a loan. You get a loan. Yeah, <laughs> and send mixed no signals. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to mix signals throughout the economy. Once the bubble bursts, everyone's going to be screwed. Instead of helping Main Street, we're just going to bail out Wall Street. What they've, what you know, to give Nancy Pelosi some sort of credit, at least most of the money from these recent stimulus is going to working people. You know, I, I'm not saying it's it's because of her, but at least it's better than where we were ten years ago. Yeah, no, I I completely agree that that deal before, and I, I had talked with my parents too, and they told me similar things happened with credit cards you know, when credit cards really started to become popular, like around my mom's age, they would give out random kids like first credit cards, $5,000 limits, $10,000 limits. And it's just ironic to think that like, now if you have any dings or marks on your credit, you're just not even getting approved. So it's like back then they just gave out credit like you'd never believe. And you've got, you know, 18, 19 year old kids with $5,000 credit limits blowing through these credit cards. And it's like the same thing, you know, with, with home loans, You've got yeah. home loans out here. We're just giving home loans left and right. It's just, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of anti-big government myself. I know it has a place, and I've always been more of a limited government person myself. But, um, yeah, I just some of these pro, some of these government programs have just, just not been it, personally, from my opinion. Well, and, and so the argument going forward after these issues have come up is, do you have greater government that can restrict banks and businesses more, or do you you take power away from government, which would kind of incentive, if power's away from government, you're not going to hire a lobbyist because government has no power to give you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of an argument that Peter Schiff has done over the last 15 oh, years. I love that guy. Peter Schiff, who predicted the financial collapse yep. 2007, 2008. That guy is amazing. He says, if you guys are listening right now, you guys need to go take a look at Peter Schiff after this podcast. That guy is amazing. He's awesome. He, he went on to the Occupy Wall Street you know, during it and was talking with people with a mic. And all he was saying is like, why are lobbyists successful? Well, the reason they're successful is because government has power and influence and mm-hmm. corporations want to buy that power and influence. Mm-hmm. And if the government couldn't provide special favors and subsidies, there would be less lobbyists. Exactly. So instead of growing government, which would incentivize big, big business to partner with big government more mm-hmm. and hurt the working class, He's saying shrink the federal government so that big business can't get in bed with the big with big government and hurt working families. Of course. Well, you know, it's kind of crazy. I think if I'm not mistaken, there was a Democratic candidate that actually ran and uh, one of her big policies. It was Tulsi Gabbard, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of her big policies was banning. Super yeah, she's a. And, well, yeah, well, she's a uh, Russian asset, according to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's any, anybody in their party that calls any of their own party out. Yeah, that's why, actually why I really respect Tulsi. She's got the uh, the stones to call out her own party when her party's being shady. And it's like well, it's kind of funny that the moment that happens is they, they completely turn on her completely. It's like she goes from being an honorable you know, woman who could potentially run for the White House to, ah, she's a Russian spy, misinformation. And- <laughs> 
it's all about foreign policy. You know, it's it's the same thing they did to Trump. They said he's a Russian asset because oh, he yeah. wanted to change the United States' position in the world on foreign policy. And she was the same way. She's more extreme. And I actually kind of like it. A lot of libertarians um, were very you know, excited about the idea of her being the Democratic candidate because of that stance on foreign policy. Oh, and I thought she should have had the Democratic candidate uh, or the candidacy. She should have won in the primaries. But uh, obviously they shut her down. They shut her down. Exactly. And it just shows and and it's a message to all the Democrats out there that you really don't have control over your own party. Like your party is bought and paid for. And there's no getting around that. Like they're going to get their candidate. I mean, think about their last three candidates they've had they had barack obama who was the he he is the big liberal like dream boy like their poster child like he's very well spoken charismatic they kind of slipped up with that but they got their corruption in hillary clinton you know the person that's going to be their puppet and then joe biden is just a nice little mix between the two although he's not very charismatic he actually can't speak legibly at all i mean i could probably get hammered here in vegas and still be more coherent than joe biden is well Uh, (laughs) that's saying a lot considering this guy's going to be making deals if he is you know elected president with with foreign policy and for in other countries which is absolutely ridiculous to think about but um oh go ahead touching touching on joe real quick Uh, i i feel bad for the guy you know my grandmother who i was very close with had dementia and died mm -hmm. from it and I know a dementia patient when I see one. And mm. that man, that man is early stage, early yeah. stages at best, at best. He, it's going to get worse much, uh, very quickly. It's yeah, going to get much, much worse. And I feel bad. I, I don't know why he and his family even want him doing this because yeah. it is, I mean, the most difficult job in the world. Perhaps. And, it, and it, it baffles me too, because there's all of this stuff going on with Ukraine and China with his son, Hunter Biden. Um, and it's like, you, you've made all the money you could ever want in politics. Like you, he's got massive homes all over the world. I just don't understand at 78 years old after 47 years in politics, why do you have to make a run? You know, I just, I just never really understood that. Like, why don't you just go retire, go live on Epstein's Island and just, you know, live the, the rest of your days out. Like, why can't you just go do that, man? And, uh, I, I, and it, it could get really bad here in America. I mean, him making, I just don't trust him personally making deals overseas. It's just, it's scary. And other, other countries I've seen a, a news network in Australia, they actually have like a segment over there where they just make fun of Joe Biden. They're like, this is literally America now. This is what they're putting out there. And it's just, that, that terrifies me, man. I mean, pe- people were laughing, you know, when we had Trump in office because they're like, oh, he's so disrespectful. Now they're laughing at Biden because they're like, this guy is not there. And this is who they want leading the great America. I mean, it's, well, it's kind of scary. <laughs> you know, you know, look, this is a great opportunity to identify where the Republicans stand going forward and to grow the party. You know, we need, we need to grow the party. We need to reach out to people from all sorts of backgrounds, creeds, colors, whatever. We need to reach out to all people and we need to say, look, we are the party of, you know, of the bit of the working class. We are the party of law and order. We're the party of freedom, limited government. We are the anti-war party. We're the free and fair trade party. And look, we're going to, we can stabilize this country and look, Trump might not have been the guy to do it. doesn't matter if, if he was going forward. We, we have a great opportunity to build a party and, you know, no matter what happens with the presidential election at the end of the day, Republicans outperformed pretty much all the polls in yeah. 
Oh, you know, in this election, you know, Republicans gained gained 12 seats in the House. Yeah. And Trump was projected to lose by 10 percent this election. And uh, the Republicans look to keep the Senate. And a lot of those 12 people that flipped incumbent Democrats, most of them are minorities. Mm -hmm. We now have the first uh, Korean woman in Congress, Young Kim in California. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome to see. Yeah, it's wonderful to see different types of people get become you know joining the Republican Party and fighting for limited government. Yeah, well, it, it, it's starting to make sense to a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of people that are you know former Democrats turned Republicans, and they, they it, when they get it, it's like getting out. It's like if you hadn't showered for like a week, and then you take a shower, and like that first step out of the shower, you're just like, oh my god, I'm alive! Like I'm a human again! Like that's how these people feel when they come from the left and they join the right. They're just like, Oh my Lord. Like my whole entire mind is open. Like my perspective on life has completely changed. I went from the victim mentality to like the hunter mentality where I know I have to get out there and really earn it for myself. Cause at the end of the day, for everyone who's listening, it doesn't really matter who is president. You still have to bust your ass to get whatever type of goals you're trying to achieve. They're not going to hand like Trump's not going to come over to you and just drop a million dollars on your, on your porch. Biden's not going to come out and just, you know, make sure you can retire at 30. Like you've got to really work your ass off if you ever want to get anywhere. So regardless of who's in office, he's still got to work. And I think there's a lot of people who at politics kind of, you know, you know, upset, they obsess their life with politics. We're like, if the, if my candidate doesn't get in to office, I'm going to freak out and have a meltdown. And that's just crazy. But well, I think part, part of the problem is that government is so big and so influential that it does matter who's in, you know, you kind of want a a society where the federal level is so is not as significant as now. So if you don't like someone who gets in, your world isn't coming to an end. Oh, no. Yeah, you know? I, I completely agree with what you said there. I, I was using it as the example of like, even if Trump got elected and, and you know, the economy is doing well, you still have to do well on your own. You know, it's oh, not going to be a handout for anybody. So well, let's kind of touch on Trump here really quick, briefly, before we move forward. What do you think are some of his ideas that he has implemented, that he's brought to the Republican Party that have really kind of gotten people into this frenzy? I mean, because we have seen numbers come out for President Trump like we've never seen before in in politics. I mean, on either side, we've never seen, I think in Arizona, what did they have, a 93-mile-long car rally? I mean, I'm trying to like picture that in my head. And it's like, I couldn't take a drone and cover all of those people. I mean, that's insanity to think about. Every rally, it seemed on a day's notice, there was 30,000, 40,000 people in attendance. And I mean, that is just hysteria, if you think about it. What do you think are some of these ideas that have really Mm -hmm. just kind of motivated the party right now? Well, I think it's the populist message Mm -hmm. and the simple the statement, uh, you know, we had, if you look at the previous candidates, you had Mitt Romney, who mm-hmm. is a bit of a coastal elitist. He, he yeah. has no idea what it's like to, you know, to be in a, in a lower income house in, in South Dakota. You know, he, he does and not saying that Trump does, but he talks like he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the rhetoric is rhetoric in politics is everything, you know, yeah. and his rhetoric, he speaks kind of like an ordinary working American. He, he feels the same way about a lot of things that ordinary, you know, Americans feel about the media, about the big tech companies, about Hollywood. And he's able to kind of touch on that. And in terms of policy, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's like, it's less regulations, less taxes. I don't care about gay marriage. I'm not, you know, I'm not John McCain and the Republican Party of 20 years ago. I'm not going to fight 
over gay marriage. There's no reason to even talk about it anymore. Why are we in, imprisoning all of these people when they have committed nonviolent crimes and sh we should train them and get them back into the workforce with that First Step Act? Did you actually know that First Step Act was uh, started by religious leaders in the 2000s and they wow. proposed it they proposed it to joe biden and barack obama when they were in office and they completely shut it down ignored it would not embrace it at all trump was open enough to say hey look i'm gonna listen to this let's see what what makes sense mm -hmm. and then in terms of foreign policy obviously in starting new wars his goal is a plot of afghanistan he hasn't done it looks like he's kind of doing it right now mm -hmm. um in terms of the trade is huge. I mean, the trade deals aren't the only reason why jobs have been offshored, but it is a significant reason. And no one had been talking about that. If you look back in all the movies in pop culture referencing politics before Trump came in, it was all about that, though. I remember, do you remember watching the movie The Campaign with Will Ferrell? Oh my god, dude! So I I just made a TikTok about this. <laughs> it, it, it's dropping tomorrow, but I literally just made a TikTok about the uh, the election scene when they uh, they go to like look at the votes and Marty Huggins was up at the very oh, yeah. end, and then uh, they're like, "Oh, Will Ferrell's the winner." <laughs> it's it's kind of like a hit at like the whole election fraud stuff that's going on right now. So that's uh, yeah. Well, that, that. <laughs> well, but that movie that movie showed what the American sentiment was at the time mm. towards towards global trade, which was we are selling our country out to multinational corporations that want to just have slave labor overseas rather than hire ordinary working Americans. And that was the sentiment. I'm not saying that's all of that's all the reality, but that was the American sentiment. And Trump just ran on that and he won. And it really wasn't that big of a surprise to many people, but the establishment on both sides, I mean, was just couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the things that he did that was really captivating and you hadn't really seen it with a candidate in a while, you know, because of all of this, you know, globalism that's been going on, all of this, you know, selling out the country, letting other countries have influence in our country. I mean, his whole message to his base, everything you see on the red hats, make America great again. Yeah, I feel like mm -hmm. America just kind of became a laughingstock at some point to a lot of countries. And, you know, I remember President Obama, he went to uh, he, he went to the Hiroshima. And he, really went on his, he went on his world apology tour. Yeah, it's like, why? Why are you apologizing for something they got us involved in? Like you look at uh, Pearl Harbor. It's like, you, you want to go apologize to the people from Pearl Harbor since you just went and apologized to them for Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Like that's called you started the war. We finished it. That's how America's always been. It's how we always should be. Like, if you want to come at us, like, we're going to have an issue. If you want to take American lives, we're going to have an issue. And that's how it should be. You know, we should never be yeah. trying to get involved in war. But that's, uh, that's pretty much the uh, standpoint we should be taking moving forward. And, and you know, touching back onto the trade is obviously we have these big trade deficits. And the, and the deals themselves are important because we don't want to, you know, have misproportionate. Um, we don't want to be have, have higher tariffs than you know, we want reciprocal trade deals, but the, the federal government has made it so expensive to hire Americans, you know, between income taxes, regulations, 
occupational licensing, payroll taxes, minimum wage, unemployment taxes, healthcare services, human resources that you have to deal with, all the federal laws and red tape, and then as well as the lawyers for potential litigation if you violate any of these things, God forbid. I mean, ordinary small business owners can't even afford to deal with all that BS. And yeah, we've yeah. just dumped it all on, the, on these poor small business owners who just want to hire people, create wealth, you know, grow, grow the wealth of their communities and provide for their families. There's nothing immoral about that. It's a beautiful thing. But we, for some reason, created this government that, you know, it, there's no, it, it creates like no incentive to do so. And, you know, so for, as a personal example, um, my, my dad's new business is, is uh, in North Carolina in a relatively low income area, heavily black area. And it's just one of these areas that has some tax exempt, you know, criteria, almost like an, almost like an economic freedom zone where, you know, Tim Scott, Rand Paul were really big on that with Trump was to lower taxes in these low income areas to incentivize wealth creators or entrepreneurs to come into the area, invest in the area, hire workers. And as a result, the community thrives. And that's what he's doing right now. And it's beautiful to see. I don't know why it's controversial at all, but it somehow is. And uh, we need more of that because that's what brings people together. And that is one thing Trump says that it is very true. Is he always says success brings people together. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you see in these types of communities. Um, and we need more and more of that. And it will help grow the Republican Party as well. And look, the Republican Party has grown with minorities over the last four years. So, I mean, we've seen what happened in da- Miami-Dade County in this oh, yeah. last election. It was down 30 points into Republican loss. All of a sudden, it's now an 8% Republican loss. It's a 22% difference. That's unbelievable. Would have never expected that. And a huge part of that is the socialist rhetoric coming out of the democratic party. Oh yeah. These people, these people fleed socialism. I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of funny. Everyone wants to talk socialism and then it's like, you're, you have people you could speak to, trust me, they come to America in the thousands because they're fleeing these socialist agendas. And it's like, you never see people in America flee to socialist countries. Yeah. That's the big no. like, person. And, and then know, another thing we could touch base on later on is just kind of the, uh, the, the facts versus emotion type of thing, you know, like one party, you know, they want to get emotional. They want to say, eat the rich. They want to say, we need to resist. But then it's like, you bring, you know, solid facts to them and it's like they, their mind just explodes. It's kind of funny to, to look at. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, so at the end of the day, we just need to make the United States the most free and desirable country in the world to start a business. Agreed. If that was, if that was your only goal going into office and you could meet that goal, the country would be so much better off, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that could just be your sole goal Yeah, and no. everyone would benefit. So I, I completely agree. You got to stick with the basics, you know, stick with the basics and get those down. But, um, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on too, is we have to be, and I say we, the Republicans, whatever you want to call them, has to be the party of free speech. And as of right now, that's what you see. You see these conservative-minded intellectuals go to college campuses to speak. And you see, in the case of Ben Shapiro at UC Berkeley, they have to hire 600 law enforcement officers because the, pe- the poor little spoiled brats at uh, Berkeley can't even listen to him talk for an hour. And... Um, the online, the free speech online is huge. What you see going on with the big tech meeting hearings in uh, in the Senate, 
on one hand, you have the Republicans saying, why are you censoring us? And on the other hand, you have the Democrats saying, why aren't you banning more of these people for hate speech? Mm-hmm. And that is that is huge going forward. And that's that's once again, going back to the one percent versus ninety nine percent. That is a winning issue for the Republicans is they're going to be the ones fighting fighting against the one percent censoring the 99 percent because that's what that's what it boils down to is you have twitter facebook google and the rest of them trying to silence conservative voices and trying to promote prop up you know liberal biased media and i mean you have you have just these idiots like like Senators Coons, Blumenthal, and Hirono asking Dorsey and Zuckerberg, uh, why aren't you taking so-and-so's account down? Why aren't you taking this account down? Why the, you know, Hirono yesterday asked Facebook why they're uh, promoting right-wing propaganda on their page. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. I mean, she's one of the dumbest people I've ever oh, listened to. And that's that's saying something because there's quite a few on that side. But it's so weird because they, they talk about censorship, which is a right of ours. You know, we're allowed to speak our thoughts and say what we're able to say, you know, within reason. Obviously, you're not allowed to, you know, give death threats or anything like that. There's there's there, you have a, you have some barriers, but I think everything conservatives are doing are well within, you know, their reason. You know, it's kind of funny. I didn't see anybody in 2016 get censored for saying that Russians colluded to uh, give President Trump the nomination to win the president presidency. You know, I never saw anything like that. No, they were never getting censored whatsoever. They're allowed to speak their mind freely. Um, but I, I think in terms of censorship, they have it all backwards. You know, they want to censor everybody that has a different opinion than what the liberal media says. And they, I mean, if you look at Facebook and Twitter, I mean, Twitter has like child pornography on Twitter and Facebook has groups for pedophiles, like where pedophiles can talk amongst each other. And yet they're trying to service con- or they're trying to uh, censor conservative viewpoints. And I, I think their priorities are a little backwards. I mean, instead of trying to silence anybody that disagrees with you, you should be taking out some of the monsters that are on your own platforms that you've turned a you know cold eye to. I think that's pretty sick. Yeah, and the the online privacy issue is not going to go away, and it is something that the Republicans really need to take advantage of because it's really a Fourth Amendment issue and it's something that will really resonate with the ordinary people who understand that these search engines and social media uh, sites are, you know, pretty much stealing their information without them knowing and selling it for their gains. And it's, it's a huge privacy issue. And, you know, that is, that is a role where the federal government, that a role the federal government needs to take, you know, that is the federal government is there for things like that. Where you look, you can't steal my identity. You can't steal, you know, personal information about me and my family, my friends, where I like to go and sell it to people without me knowing. Yeah. Did, did you see that, uh, the movie, The Social Dilemma? You know, I haven't, but I feel like I kind of know everything in it already, but I should see it. <laughs> it, it is it is powerful. I encourage everybody that's on here right now to definitely go check that movie out as well. I mean, that is a very powerful movie. I mean, for me, it wanted me to throw my phone away until I realized, holy crap, my whole entire life is on this thing. I mean, it is very powerful. But I, I want to kind of touch away from, you know, big tech. And I want to talk because that is, that is a problem that we do face here. And that's one of the many problems. I kind of want to talk about some of these long term problems that we face as a as a party as the, you know, as Republicans moving forward, you know, us both being young conservatives. What are some of the problems we're gonna have to solve? Because the Democrats, I mean, they've got their base pretty high strong. I was just speaking with some people on social media 
And they actually told me that if there was proven widespread voter fraud, that they would get out in the streets and riot against President Trump. I mean, that's how brainwashed some of these people are. Like, instead of calling your own party out and saying, why did you try and steal a democratic election? You know, what is this democracy that we have here in America? They would rather riot and take to the streets because they have to deal with Trump for four more years. What do you think of some of these problems we're facing? Because some of these people are so far gone. Can they recover? I mean, that's that seems like a personal problem at some point. But uh, what are some of the problems you think we face moving forward? Well, I think it all starts with with young people. Uh, the Republicans have to become the sexy party for young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, young people have to learn at a young age that that government isn't there to hold your hand and and take care of you. And um, it's it's a cultural issue you know the culture fight is is as big of a fight as the political fight if anything it's a bigger fight um you know i know i i know what it's like to be on a liberal arts campus it's essentially a socialist indoctrination camp i mean where did you go i went to rollins college it's a it's a a great school Mm -hmm. and there are great professors there but there's there's only one registered republican professor on campus and I, I loved a lot of my liberal professors, but I can tell you right now, when you get in those classrooms and you have debate circulating, it's uh, it's pretty astounding how it's just, you know, progressives running the debate and everyone else is, and the few, the few conservatives in the room are just kind of sitting by, kind of watching what's going on because it's just, it's a freak show. Well, and they don't, and they don't want to lose their jobs either. I mean, if they start speaking conservative, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take little Sally going home to bomb and be like, this guy's a racist, blah, 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 blah. Taken out. I, I actually had the one registered Republican professor on campus and Mm. he, he kind of knew I was libertarian, conservative minded. And mm-hmm. I remember talking with him after class one day, he was saying, Austin, you would not believe the things I hear in these board meetings. He's like, you just, I just sit back and just kind of don't even say anything because it is so scary. You can't even imagine it. And the, these are the people that are influencing young people. And, you know, when you look at the people who influence the youth in this country, it's, you know, it's Hollywood, it's the media, oh, yeah. and it's, it's the, the intellectuals and the intellectuals and government go hand in hand. You know, it's almost a priest-like class, you know, back in the, you know, old European times when you had the government, then you had the church and the church and the government kind of worked hand in hand to kind of, you know, spew BS to to the to the ordinary citizens of the country and it's it's a disgrace and but thankfully there are a lot of young people who are you know dying for different information and you know with with what's going on with the with the current media when you when you turn on the news networks so many people have been turned off to that and we have so many more options now that other information is becoming easily ready, uh, you know, accessible. And that's why, you know, people like Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan, uh, Dave Rubin, all sorts of people from all different walks of life are getting so much traction online. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see because that's what you need. And that's kind of getting back to what I was saying about the Republicans need to be the party of free speech. You know, back in the sixties, it was the liberals that really, that really attracted 
uh, young people because they were the party of free speech. They were the party of privacy and they were also the anti-war party. Mm-hmm. Although conservatives have always been anti-war. If you look back at Eisenhower, you know, he ended the Korean War. You look at Nixon, he ended the Vietnam War. You have to look at Reagan, he ended the Cold War. I mean, conservatives have a long, long history of, of ending war conflict. But actually, I, I should say Nixon wasn't really conservative, but yeah. that was he was a Republican. So um, he was a Republican in quotes. With, <laughs> yeah. Without playing without playing identity politics, we really do need to reach out to diverse communities. Mm-hmm. And in the difference is we don't have to make our policies based on identity politics we just have to market to diverse people yeah do you know what i'm saying no i i I totally get what you're saying and and just to kind of piggyback off of that you know when we're talking about you know diversity in the party i i think you know that's a big problem we do face long term because of how manipulative the media can be i mean i Mm. know a lot of democrats that they think Candace Owens is the the female version of Uncle Tom. And I asked them why they think yeah. that way. And they, they really believe so because she has a different viewpoint than what's being spewed on the media. She's willing to call out her own party and hold them, or not her own party, but her own people and hold them accountable. And it's like, the moment you do that, it's like, wow, that person's racist. That person's wrong. That person, we don't claim them. And it's just, it, it's gotten to that point. And I think we have to really be afraid of how big media has gotten. And it's something we have to kind of pool together and all come together as you know young conservatives and figure out a way how to combat that. You know, I'm really interested to see the next Republican candidate after Trump, how the press treats him. Because I have never seen bad media like what we've seen with President Trump. I mean, I, I understand he could bring it out of you because he can piss a lot of people off with the way his rhetoric is. But I am really interested. I told all my Democrat friends the same thing. I'm very interested to see who comes after Trump and how the media treats him. And if it's just as unfair as Trump's been getting it, we have a major problem moving forward because that means, you know, the media is going to do everything in their power to make sure they have their candidate that they want in year in and year out. And that's a scary reality that we face. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. No matter who it is, I hope they can unify the party and at least try to reach out and unify some moderates. Um, it's uh, one thing that Trump did very well was in his State of the Union speeches, he would tell these inspiring stories about Americans or people that migrated here, like that man from North Korea who lost his leg fleeing the tyrannical oh, yeah. regime in North Korea and had his crutches with him standing up. I've, I'm not that emotional of a person. I, I teared up during that. Yeah. Because that is that is the ultimate American dream is you're fleeing tyranny in communist North Korea. You lose your leg, you lose your family, you're eating dirt, yeah. you're dying, you're dying because of malnutrition. You come here and you have a great life. And that's what we have to do is just take the brand of America and just make it an inclusive place, a successful place, and a, a place full of peace and love. But at the same time, you have to do it in a, in a way that the federal government isn't doing it for you. You have to understand that when you come here, you have to take care of yourself, take care of your family. But the thing is, most of the immigrants here do know that. I mean, if you look at Chinese Americans, they're far more successful than white Americans. Oh, yeah. They're far more successful. Asian, Asian women today make more than white males. That's a new stat that just came out. That's, that's um, <laughs> 
Very interesting set. I mean, look, people from all backgrounds can come here and thrive. Mm-hmm. You have you have um, blacks from the West Indies on average are wealthier than whites in the United States. Mm-hmm. The, the, the blacks from the West Indies that live in the United States today. Yeah. The people from all over can come here and have a great life. And we need to make it actually that is one thing Trump. I don't he wasn't able to do, but someone needs to do is we need to make it easier for qualified workers to come here, settle here and create wealth here. A lot of times small businesses simply can't get the labor that they need domestically and they need to bring in people. I know my dad's had that issue in the past and it's tremendously difficult in terms of time, energy and the resources, hiring the attorneys, paying for the visas, you know, figuring out all the logistics of it. We need to make it easy for these people to come over and work and become Americans while at the same time being very, very tough on illegal immigration because we're spending a fortune um, subsidizing illegal immigrants. Oh, no, I I agree. I agree completely. And I I, just to kind of touch base, I'll kind of hit on two points there. The last one you just said, obviously, uh, you know, the whole illegal versus legal immigration, people don't realize, you know, because there's a lot of people that really believe in open borders, like just come here whenever you you can stay as long as you want. But it's such a slap in the face to people that have came here legally. I mean, it's like, what, what was the point? What was the point in waiting? What was the point in going through the whole process to get into America if people were just doing it without, you know, question? I, I think that's ridiculous. But touching base to one, one point before I lose it on the guy who came here from North Korea, I don't think people realize how privileged they are to live in America. Like, I, I'm so glad you said that. I'm God, so glad you said th- that. There are countries that are, I mean, like, I, there's a basketball player. I, I'm a big Portland Trailblazers fan because I was born in Portland, Oregon. And in Portland, we had uh, a guy named Ennis Cantor who joined our team. And he had made some comments about the prime minister of Turkey, where he's from. And they put him on the red alert like list and said if the, the, for the capture, there's a reward for his capture. And that he was set to face like 20 years in prison if caught because he just had a different opinion of what their prime minister had or their dictator, whoever, whatever. They, he's a dictator figure. I can't remember what they call it out there in Turkey. But it's like yeah. then he's North Carolina. People out there, or not North Carolina, sorry, North Korea. Yeah, North Carolina. You guys are all terrible. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, North Korea, you, you've got people out there that are starving, people that are trying to escape because it's so bad out there. And yeah. it, Syria, I mean, the list goes on of countries that are so oppressed out there. And people don't realize how good they have it, where if you want to go and say, oh, fuck Donald Trump, you can say that without getting your head cut off here. I mean, people- It's a beautiful place. America- despite all of our flaws is still the the best place in the world to live. I've been been fortunate enough to travel. I mean, a lot of places for someone who's 24 and Mm -hmm. it's the more, the thing is the more I travel, the more I love America. Oh yeah. And and I think that's a very important message to get across to people because I mean, look, most people aren't able to travel that much. They don't have the resources or they don't have just opportunities you know, through golf, luckily, I've been able to travel all over the world. And, um, you know, probably the worst place I've been is Bangladesh, Dhaka, Bangladesh. It is it's one of the most impoverished countries in the world. And it, it has a lot of problems. And when I was there, I got sick as hell for yeah. three days. I I went through 47 rolls of toilet paper in three days. And, Good Lord, um, God over here. I thought I was going to die. I thought, I, I thought there was a chance I was going to die, but I didn't want to go to the hospital. Because you don't want to die in Bangladesh. <laughs> well, I thought there'd be a higher chance I'd die in the hospital there. So I just yeah. didn't go. 
Um, but anyways, my point is we live in such a great country. And when we talk about tyrannical regimes and kind of going back to foreign policy with which, what Trump's done too, is mm. we've kind of re-identified our number one adversary is China, which I think is exactly correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, China has, China is just so much, so much of a bigger deal than Russia. I mean, China has, you know, $15 trillion GDP. I mean, yeah, $15 trillion GDP. They have, you know, 2.3 million people in the military. They have 1.4 billion people in the country. And it's a tyrannical communist regime. The the Chinese people are not bad people. This isn't a rap on Chinese people. It is the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. They are enslaving populations of their own people the uyghurs they and what they are doing i mean i want to talk about this because it's something that isn't talked about enough i think i told you a little bit about it when i saw you last time Mm -hmm. but the uyghurs are a muslim population in east asia a lot of them live in china Mm -hmm. china has enslaved at least 1.5 million uyghurs in these labor and what they consider re-education camps where they indoctrinate them make them do forced labor and then once they die they harvest their organs and sell them across asia it's not a conspiracy theory it's not a conspiracy theory it's real world stuff you can you can go online right now and look up un reports on it they harvest the organs of the of the slaughtered uyghurs in these death camps essentially and they have them um working non-stop essentially if you stop working you're dead your organs get harvested at least 50% of the cotton that we purchase as Americans from China is slave labor today. That's an incredible thing. You'd think that a lot of progressives would be boycotting that right now, but no one seems to care about it because it's China. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's terrifying. And it's weird too, because you mentioned re-education camps. And I just thought there was uh, a guy, David Atkins, who is pretty much advocating for Republicans needing to be re-educated and you need to be sent to camps. And I heard the Bernie staffer who said the same thing. Um, And it's their regime. It almost seems like their goal, the Democratic Party goal is to take us to a communist state. I mean, it's kind of terrifying. Like if you don't believe what we believe in, you need to go to a re-education camp. I mean, I saw the Bernie staffer who praised the gulags and said that the gulags weren't so bad that people were giving living wages. They yeah. were what they call, and it's yeah, like, you know, they, they only killed 20 million people. Yeah, they, they, they only just killed anybody that thought differently than them. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, once again, liberal logic. But th- I think that's the thing. And, and the part of the liberal party, they just don't care. The liberal party, they really just get emotional and they're able to rile up emotions based on events that happen, which causes them to go out in masses and vote. The problem is they don't know what they're voting for. Like most people that voted for Biden this year, their main response was, I'm voting for Biden because it's not Trump and we can get rid of Trump. I mean, these people are so uneducated. I actually talked to the lady who told me that, oh, now that Biden's in there, now we can work on removing Biden and getting our own candidate. And I was like, that's not how politics work. Like people are so politically backwards. They don't understand what's actually going on and they don't understand the consequences of their vote. I mean, this is just today. 
David Atkins coming out and saying that the the far right wing conspiracy theories of Fox, which is more liberal than it's ever been, and all of these other news networks are what's wrong with America. We're never going to grow together without these crazy conspiracy theorists who believe a narcissistic president. And it's like their whole rhetoric is like, if you don't think what we think, you need to fix that or we're going to have the government fix it for you. And that yeah, is... Or- <laughs> Or now that they've defeated the fascists, they're uh, forcing everyone to lock down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that solved all of our... Oh, uh, we beat the fascists, so now you better shut down your business, get in your house and wear a mask in your house, or else the government's going to come in and force you. Yeah, no, I saw a funny meme. But the, but the rights, the kids, we're, we're the fascists, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, we just, uh, we, 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 you know, closing down the, the economy and closing down the country. And Joe Biden, it's so funny, because I saw a video where he's like, we need to shut down for four to six weeks weeks and then today he's on the news and he's like we i never said we're gonna shut down we're not gonna shut like this guy doesn't know where he is number one number two no. this guy, same thing with fracking he's like oh i'm for fracking no i want to ban fracking and it's like you don't know what your middle name is joe biden Let's well i mean look if you're if you're able to stay in the senate from 70 1973 until you know what what 10 years ago or so yeah it's uh you have to kind of change your tune because you have to work with the times or else you're not going to get reelected. The guy right. is just, he's a professional politician. That's what he professional That's politicians do. That's one of the reasons why there is this movement on both the left and the right to just kind of kill the traditional, you know, uh, career politician. Mm-hmm. And we do need to, that's another thing Republicans need to do. Get the damn term limits in. We need oh, the term yeah. limit in the house and the Senate. We need it. You yeah, need I, it. I agree. Well, let's uh, let, let's let's talk about you know because we're talking about the future a little bit more. Let's get into the the future of the Republican Party. You know, the young conservatives. You know, I, I obviously we see there's a ton of energy out there. I mean, I've never seen so many young people. I mean, the majority of the listeners on my podcast they are young conservatives. You know, young people that want better for themselves, better for this country. Where do you see the future of the Republican Party? Like, where do you see it going? There's all this energy. How do we like, convert this energy into making sure everybody is very educated in conservative politics and what's really going on in the world? And how do we turn this into, you know, you know, where do you see the future going? I see a lot of people personally, myself, that are young right now that could be holding, you know, high, high level of office positions. How do we yeah. make sure that we get this education to them? I, like, I know there's SAS and other programs, but how do we make sure that people get this type of information so they're not feeling discouraged moving forward or, or not feeling like they're an outcast for supporting conservative views? Well, I think the first thing, you know, in the post-Trump world, whether or not he, you know, serves another term is we have to not identify with a blood and flesh human, but ideas. I think ideas are the most important thing. Evidence um, is the most important thing. And we have to really be super disciplined with the facts, the evidence, and, and just all the evidence at hand, because, you know, ideas last, people don't you know and going for a sustainable party you have to have concrete you know really sturdy ideas to be able to to be sustainable long term and um there's so much there's so such a great opportunity for that to happen and it is happening i think i think ben shapiro is the perfect example of someone that stands up for his his philosophy based on Based on evidence. Well, I mean, the guy know? Wears, he wears a yarmulke whenever he debates, which I think is freaking cool. It's like the guy, yeah. was, like full blown his culture, and I'm like, Dude, that is yeah. So I mean, cool. well, that's the great thing. 
I would say he's probably the most popular conservative amongst young people. When you say, without question, Candace Owens I mean, is getting he's close. An orthodox, he's getting an Orthodox close. Jew from LA. I mean, how awesome yeah. is that? That he's Literally. the he's the new leader of the of the young conservatives. I mean, the young conservatives they're socially tolerant and liberal. They don't care you know, what color you are. They don't care what your gender is. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they don't care what your religion is even, you know, it's like they just want the ideas and mm -hmm. they want um, to be left alone in many ways. You know, it's like, let's have the government fulfill its small duty and then let's just live our lives and be at peace. We don't want, we don't want the government to run our lives and we don't want to be, to we don't want to always be fixated on what the government's doing because as I said earlier, it's like you don't want a you don't want a government big enough to where when the president gets in, it makes that much of a difference. Yeah, I agree. You know, in the in the in like the first decade of the 1900s, you know, in terms of lo local, state, and federal government, we had um, that total of spending in relation to GDP was 8.1 percent. Mm. Today, it is 37 percent. Wow. We have we have essentially five times more government today than we did a uh, hundred years ago, that's and that's that's a huge problem. And that's a sustainability issue because look, we have you know twenty seven trillion or so dollars in debt. That's one hundred twenty nine percent of the GDP. Each person today, if we were to pay off the debt, would have to give eighty three thousand dollars to the government. Um, and a, that one of the biggest expenses of the federal budget is, is more and more becoming the interest on the debt. You know, just our government next year is going to spend $350 billion on the interest alone. Good Lord. Our trade deficit's $860 billion, so that's, that's huge. But it's not as important as the other ones because most of the debt that we have is to ourselves because we've promised people for too long that the government can take care of you. Mm -hmm. Social security liability is the biggest, is the biggest expense. Um, you know, today, social security liabilities is $21 trillion. Mm -hmm. um, and it, to kind of, you know, backpedal a little bit on the fundamental shift of the federal government in the United States is in 1959, which I must, I have to say this because if when you debate progressives, they'll tell you that post-World War II United States was the most progressive, wonderful time to be in the United States in terms of the working class. And they'll say, oh, look, we had a 71% marginal income tax on the highest earners. Bullshit. The average, the median uh, percentage of income people were paying to the government in 1959 was under 30 percent. Mm. There was there was a high marginal tax rate, but that doesn't mean that's all of your money is going to the highest marginal tax rate. Mm. And in 1959, national defense and veterans benefits made up 55 percent of the federal budget. Wow. While 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 social spending, you know, on uh. You know, today, like what we would consider, um, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, social spending, social welfare spending made up 18 percent of the federal budget. Today, you have seen a complete 180. Today, social programs make up 62 percent of the federal budget while military defense spending makes up 18%. You've seen a complete 180 since the Great Society of London B. Johnson. And as a result, you haven't seen America any safer. You've seen more war. 
and we haven't seen America any more prosperous. Yeah. So that's very important. That fundamental shift, you know, the war on poverty and everything has been a massive failure. It has, you know, really led to it being more difficult for entrepreneurs to create wealth. And we've created a society that's much more dependent on the federal government. And that was his objective. And he was successful in doing that, but to the expense of the country. Yeah. And it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of scary when you let the government get too powerful. And if you look at a lot of the government programs too, none of their programs are great. Like free healthcare for all sounds great, but you know, it's not going to be of quality healthcare. You know, you look at like Obama phones, they barely work. Terrible. <laughs> like, it, it, like all of these government programs, I don't think people realize they just suck. You know, it's like, it's like getting. It's like if you were in in jail, okay, and you're on death row. Or this is a terrible analogy to use, but if you're on death row and you're just like, okay, this is what I want for my last meal. I want turkey. I want this. I want that. You name up all these different foods and drinks and wines, and they come in and just give you a packet of top ramen noodles with no like no no water in them at all. Just like dry top ramen, and they're like, here you can have this and we're going to give the same thing to every other inmate. I mean, that's a terrible analogy to use, but it's like, that's the premise of, you know, these, these socialist programs. They, they're not good. They're not something you're actually going to want. It's just something for everyone. It's a, a good way to put everyone on the same playing field. And it's just, it, it's terrible. Well, you know, the problem with, with all these federal programs that gets, the federal programs can't help communities like communities can help communities. And it's also that when, when you, nationalize every issue which is essentially what the progressives are doing is one of the big reasons why they threw temper tantrums over trump's three supreme court picks is because with with them losing the supreme court nothing they want to do is constitutional nothing and so they have trump has essentially you know saved the country for a significant period of time when it comes to all these radical socialist ideas yeah and but the most the other thing is when you nationalize these issues, you divide the country more. For example, take the, uh, within the last two years, Georgia chain, you know, becoming a little bit more strict on abortion. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Hollywood, uh, filming companies were filming in Georgia. And once that happened, they started boycotting Georgia Ozark, which is one of my favorite shows. Mm -hmm. They boycotted, they boycotted Georgia. And so what you have to do is you have to take the power away from the federal government because it's an, it's not a unifying force and you have to bring, you know, power back to local levels because look, you and I, can get along so much better with people from different ideologies when it comes to local issues, because you have, you share so much more in common with people on local issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you like, for example, I live in St. Petersburg, which is, it's a pretty 50, 50 politically when you, when you factor in the whole County, but where I live in St. Petersburg is very left. It's a, you know, it's very high gay population, which I don't care about. Uh, it's Are very high. Arts district? They, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in the arts district, essentially. You know, they banned the paper straws. You see rainbow flags everywhere. Okay. It's a bunch of Bernie signs. Whatever. I don't really care because I can be unified with those people on local issues. For example, like when you live in a community, you know how good the parks are. You know how good the roads are. You know how good the schools are. You know the teachers. You know the students. You know the people. You know how good the public buildings are, the utilities, the transportation, the environment. 
you can take care of all of those issues on a local level. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it's a beautiful thing, but what the left wants to do is, is make every issue a national issue. And as a result, it puts people against each other. When, when you do things on a local level, it brings people together and it brings real change that benefits people's lives. Yeah. Well, and their, and their narrative too is so backwards too, because it's like, if you don't agree with what we're trying to force on a national level, we're going to loot, we're going to riot, we're going to complain, we're going to make your life a living hell until you get it. I mean, their, yeah. their narrative is like a kid that like gets his toy taken away during playtime and everyone else is out playing and they're just sitting there crying and slapping their, slapping and, and yelling at everyone and whining. They're going to go tell their mom that the, the instructor took their toy and it's like, just freaking yeah. grow up. Like, well, and and why, why should the people of Minot, North Dakota have the same kind of restrictions on themselves as the people in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's culturally, I mean, we have a very diverse country, mm-hmm. you know, geographically speaking. And it's, uh, it's, it's a great way to, to divide the country is nationalizing all these issues. When you make every issue something for national debate, it really puts people against each other. And that's what, that's the huge division you see today with uh, rural America versus urban America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. So what 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 do you what do you think? I I'm, I'm going to give you a shot in the dark right here. You got betting odds, okay? <laughs> Twenty four rolls around. Who are you taking as the conservative nominee? Who would you want to see in office? Is there a certain candidate you're thinking well, about? You're just who like, I want to <laughs> who I want to see or betting odds? Uh both. Give me give me who you who you'd want to see in there, and then who you'd put your money on. I want to see Tim Scott in there. Okay. I think uh, Tim Scott, he's a, you know, Senator from South Carolina, conservative, mild mannered, smart man, principled conservative would be a very unifying force in many ways. Um, I like, I like him a lot Uh, in terms of uh, who I would say Nikki Haley has got to be a betting favorite. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she's a woman and she's extremely smart. She was a great governor for South Carolina. Uh, she was a UN ambassador for Trump. And she, you know, people really liked her in that position. She stepped down, which I think was a smart move because she's going to be able to play the game of, oh, I like Trump, but I'm not like a Trumper. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. She's going to be able to get very conservative people, but also the moderate people. Well, I think and, that's kind of the, the approach you have to take moving forward with our party is like, I, and this is where I've found the most effective way of talking with liberals about conservative viewpoints is you kind of level with them and be like, yeah, you know, Trump is kind of an asshole. You know, he, he does say some stupid shit. He shouldn't be tweeting the things that he says. Like I get well, that. Like that's fine. Yeah. But then, like talking and like, because that like brings them down. Because I think the liberals like it does. It's about like, the personality. The thing they hate is like the people that are so like balls deep into like the Trump like like ah I'm a, I'm a Trumper like make America great like they just they, they they can't you can't level with people that way. So no. I think that's the future talking point. Is just like hey let's come let's come meet in the middle here and let's have a conversation. Obviously, exactly won't. And so but, I but. think I think Nikki Haley would. If, it, if the election was held today and she were to run against Biden, which let's be honest, we know Biden's not running in four years. No, but if yeah, she were I to run against Biden, it would be 
I mean, let's just say Dominion actually has rigged the election, which I don't know. We haven't seen the evidence yet, but let's say they would. They would need to to switch 20% of the votes for Nikki Haley to lose to Biden. Yeah. Because Nikki Haley is going to get all the conservatives. She's going to get all the moderates, as long as the Democrats keep playing this radical game. And a lot of women, too. Well, she's going to get a lot of women, and most importantly, the suburban women, because that that was the big the big L for for Trump's Republican Party is the suburban women. They and it goes back to the personality. They hate Trump's personality. I get it. My mom is one of those women. Yeah. Um, and uh, once you kind of get away from the Trump personality, and you have a woman like Nikki Haley in there, the party will grow dramatically. Yeah. Um, I w- she's not my first pick, but I think she she could do a great job and she'd be a unifying force in the Republican Party. Love that, man. Well, I, uh, I'm going to throw a shot at a left field and it's I can't tell you why. Uh, yeah, I want to hear you. What do you think? So first of all, who's your betting favorite and who who do you think actually who do you want? I, I am going to give a betting favorite and uh, who I would want in there. And I can't say why I'm saying this because he doesn't show up on any of the betting odds yet, but I have some inside information that I just can't really speak about. I'm going to come out of left field and say John Huntsman Jr. (laughs) People can do a little research on that. I I know a couple things from inside the party that's a little little outspoken. I'm not supposed to be speaking about it, so I'm just not going to say anything. I have friends that are pretty close with him and I know a couple of things that are happening behind the scenes. So if I had to put my money on it, that would be my flyer bet and uh, we'll see where it goes. So uh, if this does happen, just remember today's date uh, is November 19th, 2020. So if he does win the election or he, he is the nominee in 2024, we're coming back to this video and I'm making clips of that. So That's, yeah, it'll, it'll be funny to look back and see what the deal is. What, but so is he, is he the guy you want to, or is he just your better? Uh, I mean, I, I personally, and I know he's not going to be running, but I would love to see a Ben Shapiro in there one day. I mean, just to yeah. see and you can't like could you imagine ben, i don't care who the liberals put up there could you imagine anybody debating ben shapiro I no mean, he no. talks so fast but you 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 understand him when he speaks like that's terrifying usually people that speak too fast like i have a problem with this myself i speak very fast and so yeah, i don't misinformation <laughs> and it's like this guy speaks 10 times faster than i do and you hear every word of it i mean the guy's extremely well educated he knows what's going on. He's oh, I mean, he's a prodigy. The guy's a prodigy. He, he is, he is the, the future candidate, I believe. Maybe not in 2024, but I would love to see him. Well, in- you know, I, I mean, I, I have no idea what his intentions are for president, but I kind of just listening to him a lot and knowing how he is, I think he's such he's so family-oriented that I think he would wait till his kids are in college to, to do that. I, I, I think he's probably – he's growing he's growing the Daily Wire right now. Business is booming for him. He's got a lot on his plate. I think he's probably just going to, you know, work on his business, you know, and, uh, you know, do a lot of speaking and, and trying to grow the, you know, the pride of, of young conservatism in the Republican Party. But he, he'll raise his kids and then probably run. I think he will run, and he should. Yeah. He, he, I think he's, eventually he's too good not to yeah it's like it would be like saying michael jordan you're not allowed to play basketball like come on i agree yeah i i I think that that's a perfectly fair comparison i mean the conservative intellectuals that i've been inspired by you know before him like the milton freemans the thomas Sowells, he is 
I mean, Thomas Sowell is his biggest influence, and, and he is the Thomas Sowell of our generation. Mm-hmm. He, is the, he is the guy that, that people looking back on will be like, okay, he was the prominent conservative ideological leader without of our time. Without yeah. question. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So let, let's move on to our last topic here. And it's kind of, you know, because. Oh, wait, oh, wait. I'm sorry, Carson. We got, okay. What's let's up? do the same. Let's do the same for the Democrats 2024. What oh, Democrat. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Um, go, you go ahead and start with your picks. Um, so the big question is Does Biden announce somewhat early on in his presidency that he's not going to seek reelection? And let the Democratic, you know, party have their own primaries to select their their uh, nominee. Or is he going to wait and not really give them time so that they can just usher through Kamala Harris? Well, well he's, so, got, he's got to make it through four years first. I mean, I don't the way well, he's going, it's yeah. not trending in that direction. <laughs> uh, I, I think. I think he could. I think he, I think it's most likely he will, but he's definitely not running again. I mean, we know yeah. that. Um, Kamala, Kamala, I think, is going to be the nominee as of right now. I mean, the media is already just drooling over her. They are just corrupting her. Oh, you know, she, she, I don't, I would like to think that she would not do very well on her own mm-hmm. in, in a general election. Uh, as long as the country stays uninformed, uh, she has a chance, but uh, I don't think she. Yeah. I don't think that she's very. What, what, did you watch I mean, the DP debates? I oh, I did, and you know what? Mike Pence did fine, but more than anything, Kamala just destroyed herself. Yeah, you know? but that—that's how Pence is. He's like the anti-Trump in a sense, where like Trump is very outspoken and he's going to try and talk yeah. over you. Pence just is like a sniper. He just takes calculated shots at you. I mean, the guy just well, he's, he's waits up, tees off, and goes. He's gentlemanly, you know, when yeah. he's putting up with her BS of saying, oh, let me talk, and then she has nothing to say. Yeah. You know, he, he gets that that's just a political ploy that she's doing, and and he was able to manage it well, and she just looked like an idiot. So. Yeah, Trump, Trump had the perfect VP selection in Mike Pence. I mean, that was just... Because you need that person that's going to balance you out if you're outspoken like that. So he, he was a good choice, I believe, for VP. Yeah, it helped him with the evangelicals who were on the fence about him before 2016 as well. That was a big thing. I, I, I will say, I, Mike Pence has been a good VP. I do not want him to run for president. I no, don't think... No. I think he he is not what the party needs to grow the party going forward. He would be a terrible candidate, not because he'd be a bad president, but for just the future of the Republican Party and growing it amongst young people, he would be horrible. I, I agree completely. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat with you in terms of if I had to bet on it, I would put Kamala Harris in there. Just I mean, that that's if I had to put money on it, like if you told me I had to put a thousand bucks on the presidential candidacy. And I'd probably go with Kamala Harris just because I don't believe in four years, the party's going to get that informed. They're just going to be, you know, relieved that Trump isn't there. If Trump does, you know, end up not getting a second term, they're going to be relieved in that way. And they'll just, they won't educate themselves. They'll just be like, okay, all is well, life is going to get better. And it won't, but I, I, who I'd love to see in there. And I really liked uh, some of, some of her views were a little extreme, but I really like Tulsi Gabbard. I like what she stood for. Cause she's more on the moderate side than like Democrat. I mean, some of her policies, I believe she 
See, yeah, I mean, economically, like, economically, economically, she's way off. Yeah, but poor. That's that's the problem. Is it's like I just want. Why can't we get a Democrat who is moderate economically, and then kind of uh, more non-interventionist in foreign policy, like a Tulsi? Well, well, you, do know, you, do you know why? <laughs> well, I do know why, but it's you won't see it because no one will donate to her. <laughs> yeah, it just oh, doesn't it's... happen. Good, yeah, but I, I like I like her. I think she's very charismatic as well. I feel like if she, like you said, if she switched up to like more moderate uh, when it comes to the economics, she would be one of the best candidates they've ever had. Because I believe, like socially, she understands a lot of what's going on. You know, she's not afraid to call out her own party. Like she's literally the closest I mean, to the middle ground candidate the Democrats have. I mean, have either have either parties ever had a female veteran run for president? I don't, yeah, think, I so. don't think so. Yeah. Uh, we had Hillary Clinton, if you want to count Benghazi as her service record. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is there has never been a war Hillary Clinton did not support. Exactly. Well, I, I just thought it was funny that like you'd think after 2016 with Hillary, they'd be like, all right, we really got to switch up our candidates here. We got to go with someone younger. We got to go with someone who's a little more moderate. We got to get the young people involved. Um, let's go with Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 78-year-old old man grew up in little kids. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I have a, a very good friend of mine who's a who's a Democrat who I play golf with. He, he's a, he's a lobbyist actually funny enough. Um, very smart guy. I mean, but very much on the left. Yeah. He said, I remember him saying this, you know, after Trump got elected, he's like, I cannot wait for them to put in a moderate, uh, young, you know, very, <laughs> you know, attractive person that will just appeal to the, to a wider base. And, you know, fast forward four years later, he has no recollection of saying that and says that Biden is the savior of our time and, and oh that we need God. to just bow down to him, essentially. But does, I mean, that's, does, that's just how it is. Does the guy shotgun white claws and not be? <laughs> <laughs> is he the little spoon in the relationship with his girl? I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, he's a great he's a great man. A great I, friend, I, I bet but, he is. No, but politically, politically, we, uh, he knows how I feel and I know how he feels. And, and yeah. we don't talk about it that much sometimes because we just disagree on so much. But we love each other and it's great. Yeah. But, but yeah. That's I, something I, that should be. I mean, I don't know where we got into this narrative of like, oh, if you think differently, you are not my friend. Like, I've had people I've known for 10, 12 years unfollow me and I'm just like, why? They're like, your, polit- or your political stance is just so bad. And I'm like, okay, well, so is yours, but you don't see me unfriending you because of that. Like, chill well, out. Like, you know, what I, well, I, it's funny you say that. I saw that just today, one of my friends who's conservative, he posted a clip of, of Tucker talking about big tech and, and, and he t- when he put it on his story, he kind of put a little caption beneath it. I don't really like Tucker, but I like that. But this makes sense. And I, I messaged him. So I'm like, hey, I know you like Tucker. You know, like, why, why are you so afraid of saying I don't really like Tucker? You know, and it's because the left has labeled Tucker a white supremacist. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, like most people on the left think that like Tucker is Fox News's like leading white nationalist uh, they, journalist. They literally think he's Republican Hitler. <laughs> like it's terrible. Yeah. And I'm just like, I just feel bad that he felt like he had to say that. I'm like, 
I wouldn't even post it at that point if you had to defend yourself. Because if you're defending yourself before you've even made your argument, you're losing your argument. You oh, know? I agree. Well, it's so bad that cancel culture is even a thing. Like, oh, we can just yeah. cancel you because you don't see the same way. I mean, I had uh, I, I used to do uh, some influencer stuff uh, on social media. I actually have to, used to have a bigger following than I do now. But um, I did some like influencer stuff on social media and I had a company that was like my influencer campaign company and they wanted me all the influencers to do like a Black Lives Matter campaign where we post the black square, add the blacklivesmatter.card or whatever to our profile. And I'm like, I can't support this. It's not something I really get behind. I know where the money goes when it, when they yep. Black Lives Matter Incorporated. Well, I, I can't the get founders. Behind. The founders of Black Lives Matter and Antifa are a genius in the sense of the name of their organization yeah. you can't argue against. You exactly. Know? Obvi- obviously, we, we care about black people. Oh, it's not course. that we don't care about black people. It's just the movement is so far separate, so far removed from black people. I mean, most of, the, most of Black Lives Matter activists are just white socialists on college campuses yep. or in urban areas. And they don't, it has nothing to do with black lives. It has to do with neo-Marxism. And yep. And it's the same thing with the Antifa. Obviously, you know, if you just say that you're anti-fascists, I mean, it's kind of hard to debate against that. It's like, well, I'm anti-fascist too, but it's like, yeah. well, they're the real fascists. They're the ones bashing in people's heads that they don't agree with. Yep. And if anything, I think the Antifa, the FA at the end, that stands for anti-First Amendment because that's yep. really what they're all about. They hate the First Amendment. They they want to clobber you over the head if you if you speak out and they want to silence you and and kill you i mean kill you at the end of the day so literally they're they're terrible and uh no, I, you know i think that that's a winning issue for republicans going forward is we're going to be tough on on thugs like that in terms of policing as well as we have to identify what these people really are it's a neo-marxist ideology that hates this country and and wants to take down the institutions that have made this country the greatest country in the history of mankind I agree. And it's getting embedded in companies. Like I mentioned that influencer company that I was working with, they gave me an ultimatum. They're like, you're either going to make this post or we're not getting any more brand endorsements for you. And I, I had worked with like NASCAR through them. I'd worked with Panera Bread, some pretty big companies, Express. And uh, they're like, we're going to we're gonna take this all away from you if you don't cooperate. And I was like, okay, fuck off. I'm going to go make a point for you guys right now. I'm going to go donate $25 to a, a, a company that helps support black businesses that when yeah. the looting and rioting was going on, it helped donate f- uh, money to black businesses that had been destroyed. And I'm like, exactly. I care about black lives, but I'm not donating to your Marxist freaking agenda. There's no freaking way. And exactly. They took that's, I'm glad you did that. And that's, yeah. that's the irony of the situation is the people that are claiming to, to want to help black lives are destroying the communities that the, that these people that, you know, these, you know, black entrepreneurs are in and, I mean, it's impot. Okay, it's hard enough in this country to start a business, but if you have to start a business in an area where you don't know whether you're going to get looted or there's going to be oh, arson, right. you can't start a business. There's no economic incentive to create wealth in that area, and the money will leave. The people will flee, and you'll be left with with nothing. And I agree completely. It's I mean, just, it's so backwards. It's it, so it really backwards. Is. There's a lot of work we have to do, but I want to I want to touch base on this last point here. Um, the kind of the Papa's appeal and why conservative, because there's a lot of listeners that are young and they kind of need, you know, some, some motivation, some, some hope in a sense. Cause like you said, there is a very powerful big media. There's big tech trying to censor everyone. It could be really easy to think like, God, maybe we are on the wrong side, but you're not. And I want to kind of talk about 
how the conservative viewpoint is the right viewpoint, you know, why facts are, are greater than emotion and how, you know, how we can kind of speak and, and shape this rhetoric moving forward to give people some hope in the Republican Party moving forward. I mean, how, how easy is it to win an argument when you're coming out with facts versus coming out with, you know, dreaded emotion? How, how's your experience been with that? It's... <sighs> It's tough because I don't like to necessarily debate friends of mine who are liberal mm-hmm. because I don't want to, you know, create that more tension within the, within the friendship that's there. But when you when you list facts like I was just listening about, you know, government spending and and the role of government in terms of, you know, funding the military versus funding social programs. It once you once you start talking about the realities, it doesn't it conflicts with their vision. The, the, you know, Thomas Sowell talks about the unconstrained vision, which is essentially what the left has, where we can just tack on improvements to our society without any negative consequences. And what they don't realize is this societies don't just come full blown into the world. Societies have to have to grow over time and they evolve and they develop. And we can't take for granted the liberties we have in this country. And at the end of the day, I do this with my golf game. And I do it. I think we need to do it with government is it all comes back to the constitution. We have the, we have the, the Liberty blueprint of the universe. I mean, it is the greatest document in the history of politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, hundreds of, no, at least a hundred countries have modeled their governments after ours because of the innovative and truthful manner of the United States constitution. And it just, when you can apply it across everything, it just brings more peace and it just gives you a, a strong, um, a sense of stability in terms of where things go for, because you can apply the constitution to almost every issue that's going on in this country today. And when you can't, you can lawfully amend it. And, um, you know, going back to what I was saying about the uh, online privacy, I mean, we can use the Constitution to say, look, these, you know, big tech giants and search engines, they can't steal your information without your permission. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't do this. And the government shouldn't have access to it. You know, in China right now, they have skyscrapers filled filled with thousands of government agents constantly hacking U.S. governments, uh, like local state federal government uh systems as well as corporation systems stealing intellectual property and stealing and stealing very important information for our country you have to have the framework that holds it all together which is the constitution and it's very boring to talk about the constitution because it isn't sexy it's not like you know to young people it's not sexy to talk about you know the first amendment or the fourth amendment or the ninth and tenth amendments but it is sexy to talk about free college it is sexy to talk about free healthcare it is sexy to talk about you know all sorts of bs that you know isn't going to be isn't going to come into fruition but just sounds nice yeah of course and uh it's like, it's one, like the, uh, the sales agent that sells you on the dream vacation and then you get there and it's like what the hell is this like this is a uh, crappy little cabana that I have to live in for the next seven days. So I, I totally get you on that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was I saying? Oh, one amendment that I do think we should have is it's a, well, this is, this should be dedicated to an entirely different podcast, but it is okay. So I, uh, 
was interested in getting involved in the Libertarian Party for a, a brief period. And I re- wrote a proposal of what I thought they needed to do to grow the party. And one of the things I said they need to do, and I think that it, I don't know why they didn't do it. Cause I, they, I literally talked to the campaign of Joe Jorgensen about this mm-hmm. is a uh, constitutional amendment, change the drinking age to 18, mm-hmm. the national drinking age sounds like something very small, but if the Republicans were able to do that, that would grow. That would be such a popular thing with young people, as well as it could help change the drinking culture in this country. You know, when you travel throughout Europe, you know, when kids are starting to drink, you know, a glass of wine at dinner, 13, 14, and they yeah. can legally drink 16, 18, you don't have the binge drinking. You don't have the, the violent drinking. You don't have the, you know, horrible drinking culture that you have here. And, you know, we shouldn't allocate police resources to, you know, police young people on college campuses drinking. I mean, if you're an 18 year old, you should be allowed to drink on a college campus. If you're 18 and you're old enough to go over and fight and die for the country, you should be able to drink. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's like, these kids are already drinking. Like, it, exactly. like you're stopping them. Like I, I've, I've in fraternity life, like, you had 18, 19, 20 year olds all drinking like a lot more than the average person. So it's like, you can't tell me that by making it legal, like that's going to be some huge shock because kids are already doing it. I think I had my first sip of alcohol at like 16. So it's like, not like I was a stranger to it by the time I got to 21. It's like I hit 21 and I'm like, Oh cool. I'm just celebrating something I've been doing the past couple of years. (laughs) Woohoo. Like, yeah, exactly. I would like to see it as well. Exactly. It's not a big deal. And it would be, I think, a very good bipartisan issue. Um, I think it'd be very easy. I think it would go right through. Um, The we still on the we have on the books still to this day, like prohibition era alcohol laws and regulations. Uh, I mean, it's different in different states, obviously. But, you know, in some states, you can't buy alcohol on a Sunday or you can't buy alcohol after, you know, 5 p.m. or, you know, all sorts of weird stuff. And and that's that's to the states. Fine. But if you wanted to really change the drinking culture, you'd have to have a constitutional amendment, you know, that does state, you know, the legal drinking age in this country is 18. And I think it'd be, I think it'd be good for the country. I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's kind of funny. I remember earlier, you know, cause the, the topic really is kind of about, you know, using logic to fight emotion. And uh, I find it really funny too, cause we've talked a lot about Ben Shapiro on this podcast. Yeah. episode, And I always like ask He's myself, who, who is who is the leftist version of Ben Shapiro? And I, I sit there for like minutes on end thinking, and I'm like, God, there really isn't one because it's all people like Don Lemon or freaking Rachel Maddow. Like, oh my the, God. The you, jank, you, jank Uyghur. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh my God. The freaking meltdown that guy had in 2016 was great. I don't know what was better watching. Anna, Anna Kasparian. Oh, yeah. Love on Young Turks. Um, But obviously none of them can hold a candle to Ben. But uh. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy's name, but whoever runs Pod Save America, maybe I don't know his name, but I know that's a very popular podcast with, yeah. with young people. But they're, just, um, they're so emotionally triggered, and I, I don't know if it's because their audience is. Because like I remember Rachel Maddow after the 2016 results got through the next day, her segment literally started by saying, uh, "You know, this is you're awake, by the way." You haven't died and gone to hell. He's like, this is your life. Oh, yeah. That was when Trump Trump was your president. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what you compare this to? She's like, is it it necessary to think of a doomsday operation right now? And I'm like, 
only well, thing that's serious is putting you in a home for your thoughts and views. Like that's insane. Like, well, you know, when the federal government is your god, mm-hmm. it's easy. It's easy to rationalize that. Oh yeah, it's insane. Absolutely. And that's their god. That's their god. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's sad, but we got to fight it, and we can do it in a way that brings people from all walks of life to to the movement and it's it's going to be exciting i can't wait to see what happens yeah i'm excited for the future as well man well austin i want to thank you again man for coming onto the podcast today honestly man it was great to hear your perspective great to get to talk about some of these points and i'm sure our, our listener listeners very uh much appreciated you coming on the show today we'll definitely have to have you back on for another episode man we've got a lot of stuff we can go back and forth on but um yeah look, look forward to having you back out in vegas do you have any closing thoughts for the audience here no, Karsten, just thanks a lot for having me. I love the, this discussion. Uh, we could talk for hours and hours oh, and yeah. hours. There's so many, you know, before we did this, I was kind of, you know, jotting down some notes of what I wanted to touch on. And mm-hmm. I, 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 can't, I couldn't even do it. I didn't even really have notes because there's so many things to say that it's, it, we could be doing this for 40 hours at least. So thanks for having me on. I'll look forward to getting back on again. I hope the podcast keeps growing and, more people start and more people, more and more people listen to you. Cause I think, I think you're a great host. 100%. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you again for coming on for everyone listening here. That's listened to the end. I'm going to link all of Austin's social media in the description below on the podcast. Austin, once again, thank you for coming on, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you, Carson. All right. Take it easy, man. Me too. What an awesome guy. I mean, that guy, he is just, uh, Amazing golfer in, in his own right. Uh, you're definitely going to see him in the PGA Tour one of these days. Um, he's got a really bright future ahead of him and obviously has a great head on his shoulder. Uh, it was an honor to meet him and his girlfriend while they were out here in Las Vegas. And uh, you'll definitely be seeing him back on the show. So thank you guys again. I know this has been one of our longest podcasts. Thank you guys for those who have tuned in till the end. You guys are freaking awesome. We appreciate all this channel support again. Uh, and God bless to all of you guys. Have a great night. And I look forward to having you guys here for the next podcast. Have a great night. Bye.